Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, all you wonderful, wonderful F1 fans in Canada and around the world. We are back. That is right. It is race weekend again. I am very, very excited about this race, specifically for one reason. We are going to see if Red Bull is able to come back from their, what, historic ending run in Singapore their embarrassing weekend however you want to put it but let's get right down to it if you're hearing my voice that can only mean two things one that my name is kelsey and two you are listening to the newest edition of f101 And as always, we're going to start off this episode with the hot topics. This is everything you need to know this week in the world of Formula One. We've got more driver signings. We don't have one. We don't have two. We have three brand new drivers signed. It's a very good weekend. Let's get right into it. The driver signing that I expected, that the world expected to see because of his performance in his rookie year, McLaren has offered and has re-signed Oscar Piastri till the end of 2026. In my opinion, this absolutely 100% rounds out their very, very stable driver lineup. Uh, Lando's booked until 2025. There is huge demand for both of these drivers as it sits right now. The combination of their confidence, the new upgrades for the car, and just the trajectory that McLaren is going right now. It's a fantastic idea that Zach Brown signed both of these drivers when he did look for McLaren to up the ante, the amount that they're going to pay these drivers and the contract extension length come 2025, especially for Lando. And I wouldn't be surprised if they tried to sign Piastri in 25 as well, one year before the end of his contract. Uh, these are the future superstars of F1, 100% guaranteed, in my opinion. No word on how much Piastri has signed for. Uh, and in my opinion, I don't think, I, I don't care. It doesn't matter. I'm just happy that Piastri has found a good home in McLaren, a good driver's home. It's a fantastic culture there. Everything seems to be clicking. Congratulations on Piastri. Uh, second two signings, same team, a little more drama, and I think a little bit more, it's more of a financial decision as it is a driver's decision at this point, but we got to see how it turns out. Uh, Alfretari has signed both Sonoda and Ricardo until the end of 2024. Now, when I say this is purely a financial move, I believe it is a financial move for half of the signings. Yuki Sonoda has finally shown the maturity that Alfretari has been looking for. He is still hot behind the mic, but his decision-making when it comes to stressful times in the race itself and when it comes to huge traffic, it's not as high as it used to be. He's much more mature. He can see his options more clearly. But when he makes a mistake, he does have a tendency to fly off the handle, at least over the mic to his engineers. Is he going to be able to grow out of that? Probably not. It's part of how Yuki drives, which makes him so likable and so real world driver. I challenge everybody out there to think of at least one time where you haven't yelled at a driver ahead of you because they cut you off, because they're going too slow so on and so forth. We all do it. 
it is nice to see a little bit more of a, a human side to the F1 drivers. They all have their personalities that is granted, but it's nice to see some driver get frustrated at really dumb driving abilities from other vehicles. Daniel Ricciardo, we knew this was going to happen at some point. He's only had a two-race, what would you call it, a two-race appearance in Alfa Atari. Um, but I think signing him for the entirety of 2024 and leaving Liam Lawson in the lurch again and leaving him up for grabs from other teams if the price is right, I think is a huge mistake when it comes from Alfretari's driver strategy. And the reason is, we all know Danny Rick has got the, the pedigree behind him. He's got the history. You know what kind of driver he's gonna get. you're going to get when you sign him. So that part, solid decision. What I don't get, and it, Alfretari is kind of in this difficult situation as well, is you see how Liam Lawson is driving now. He got points in his third race. I mean, not many rookie drivers nowadays can do that. Piastri, he beat Piastri's record. Um, Nick DeVries didn't score any points in 10 races. And don't forget, Liam Lawson didn't start the season either. He came in on a whim with an hour's notice because Danny Rick broke his wrist and he's doing this well in a car that he had absolutely no practice in. So, Alfretari is faced with a decision. Do you sign your moneymaker? Because let's be honest, everybody loves Daniel Ricciardo. He is arguably the face of Formula One when he's out there. The fans love him. The critics love him. His driving ability when he's on it, he's on it. When he's got a reliable car, he's going to get you points. But at the same time, if you leave a future superstar like Liam Lawson in the background, he's going to lose all momentum that he has this season already, this second half. He's taken his opportunity. He's absolutely grabbed it by the horns, and he's made the most of it. He's, in my opinion, very impressive. If he started at the beginning of the season, arguably he would be up there with Piastri now because he would have time to learn. He would have time to figure out the tracks. He would mature at a rate that I think would be exponential this season. He's learning so fast, not because he just has to, but because he's just that good of a driver. He's better than Logan Sargent, hands down, by a mile wide. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if Williams and Alfretari slash Red Bull made a very lucrative deal where Liam Lawson goes to Williams if they don't sign Logan Sargent with the upgrades and the future look of Williams. It's not exactly the worst strategy in the world. I wouldn't necessarily consider it a step down for Lawson if he went to Williams, but then that closes the door on Lawson going to Red Bull more consistently or full-time what if Alfretari all of a sudden finds all of this time and all of this aerodynamic advantage and Lawson's sitting there going I'm I'm stuck in a Williams I'm not going to be able to keep up Alfretari is in a different difficult position I think but to sideline Lawson like this I think is a major disadvantage and a major mistake as far as signings essentially I think they're choosing money over the future of the team itself now that doesn't mean that they won't ditch Yuki halfway through the season next year be like ah, you know what it's just it's not working out or maybe Ricardo doesn't do as well as we all think he's going to in Alfretari maybe he 
gets bumped to third driver again because he's just not quite healed yet from his wrist. There's so many possibilities here, but Yuki and Daniel Ricciardo signed until 2024. Lawson is essentially kicked to the curb again. He'll be that third replacement driver for both Alfa Atari and for Red Bull. But I do expect to see him going somewhere like Williams or maybe maybe another team. I just I just don't know where at this point. A win and a loss for Alfa Atari. I think more of a loss in this case. All right, moving on. Next topic. It's math time. It's F1 math time. And around about this time of the season, you start to think about how many more points does such and such need to win? How many more points does this team need for their drivers and so on and so forth? We're starting to look at Constructors uh, Championship points and how much people need to get more millions of dollars in endorsements and so on and so forth. So let's get right into it. And we're going to be concentrating, unfortunately, for all of you Red Bull haters out there. It is that time to do that math. So we're just going to jump right into it. As it sits right now, Red Bull is first in the constructors. And Max Verstappen and Checo Perez are first and second, respectively, in the drivers. Let's do some math because this weekend could essentially make the rest of the season null and void for a lot of fans, um, a lot of teams. But let's get into it right now. Red Bull, as it stands right now, has 597 points in the Constructors' Championship. Second is Mercedes with 289 points. Mathematically, as it stands, Red Bull needs to be 309 points ahead of their closest competitor, which in this case is Mercedes, for them to win the Constructors' Championships. As we do the math right now, going into the Japanese Grand Prix, Red Bull has 308 points ahead of Mercedes. So... Essentially, how this works is Red Bull just needs to finish, and they're going to win. They are so far ahead, and the way that they've been running lately, first half, second half, take Singapore out of the equation, however you want to look at it, Red Bull, in my opinion, is going to win the Constructors as of this weekend. Now, the question is, by how many points at this point, and as we look at the Constructors' uh, standings, Will Mercedes be able to hold on to second with the, with the let's call them raging Ferraris, the Ferraris that are on a pace? Ferrari has found this consistency, and they have found this speed, where they are able to pass Mercedes for the second place in the Constructors' Championships. There's only 24-point difference between Mercedes and Ferrari, and we still have five races left, six races left. <sighs> Both teams are very consistent. Both teams both ha both teams have a tendency to score in the top 10 both cars. So that race is going to be very close. But as far as the Constructors' Championships, in my opinion, the pundits' opinion, and just mathematically, Red Bull just needs to finish both cars, top five. Mercedes can kind of try and do whatever they need to do, but Red Bull will win the Constructors' Championships this weekend, in my opinion. Drivers' Championships, on the other hand, is a little less certain. But, if you think about it, it's Red Bull 1-2. Okay? So, Max Verstappen has 374 points. Checo Perez has 223. A difference of 151 points. Mathematically, for it to be a slam-dunk victory, Max Verstappen needs to be ahead of Checo Perez by 206 points. So, let's say he wins today wins this weekend with the fastest lap, gets 26 points, and then he wins again in Qatar, 
fastest lap with the number one, that's going to be another 26 points. That still leaves a difference of 183 points. Now, at the earliest, Max will provisionally win drivers in Qatar. So if as long as he holds a point difference of 146 points lead until the end, which technically means he just needs to finish in the top five from here until the rest of the season, which, again, if you look at his track record, he has one loss in the last 11 races. He will win the Drivers' Championship come Qatar. So is the Drivers' Championships wrapped up? Yes and no. So Max is the two-time champion, right? Two-time defending world champion. He's going for his third. His teammate is second. I don't want to say we're going to see team orders if it comes into play, if they're that close during a race and it's going to secure a third championship or a first championship, I'm going to put my money on the team telling Checo that you got to slow down and you have to let Max win. I don't see it becoming that close, but I do see team orders coming in going, give Max the win or option B, Max is going to win because he's faster. Okay, that's great. Let us minimize the point damage from other drivers. Checo, you are known as the Mexican Minister of Defense. Let's see that defensive driving whatsoever. Essentially, you're going to be playing protection for Max for the rest of the season to make sure he has that point differential by the time, the, by the time we get to the end of the season. Max becomes three-time champion. Red Bull wins the Constructors' Championships and all will be well in the world of Red Bull. That's where I see that team discussion becoming more prevalent than you have to let Max win because you guys are getting too close. Or, hey, I can be totally wrong, and all of a sudden, Checo starts dominating for the second half, the last half of the second half of the season, and the teams just let them race. What do you guys think? Leave your comments, questions down below in the title of this episode. Let me know what you think. Is Max going to win his third championship in a row? Uh, is Red Bull going to give team orders where they have to tell Checo to back off? Or do you think Checo actually has a chance in catching him before the end of the season? And folks, that is the end of the hot topics. And that is everything you need to know going into this qualifying and race weekend. Let's just hop right into Q1. Japan, Suzuka track. It's a great track. It's a fast track. This is the track that has the least amount of correction and or updates since the beginning when it was first added to the F1 calendar. It's a fast track. There's some really good S-curves that they can still stay in 5th and 6th gear. I love the race. The only thing that generally comes into play is the weather. This time of year in Japan, it has been historically a ridiculously rainy weekend from start to finish, and that's including from full practice to the end of the race weekend. It seems to be that Mother Nature is cooperating, as you can say this weekend. Clouds, 42 degrees, 43 degrees, ridiculously hot, really, really high track temperatures, which means these guys are going through tires like there's no tomorrow. This may come into play as a tire strategy because each team only has so many tires that they can use. It all comes down to how well you can preserve your tires and how much you can get out of your life, or out of the lifespan of your tires if you can make it around the track. You know, five or six more laps, that could absolutely make the difference. Uh, blowing a tire in the heat because you've got a hole or you pick up some debris, that can also make a massive impact on the race. 
Q1 super fast, although a little dramatic. And for somebody who absolutely needs the least amount of drama in their race until the end of the season, just to potentially secure a spot. Unfortunately, we're talking about Logan Sargent. He is not signed yet with Williams. He is still on the bubble. He is having so much trouble establishing himself as a proper F1 racer, in my opinion. He has had really good weekends. And by really good, I mean he makes it out of the top 15. So really bad weekends. It's kind of like this. Nine minutes left in Q1. There's no clouds. There's no rain. It is windy. And these cars are very receptive to uh, change of direction in wind patterns. So you're going straight and you got to cross when you literally have to really fight that wind in this F1 car, which brings in a ton of oversteer, a ton of understeer. And it's not just catching out the rookies. It's catching out a lot of the veterans as well. Unfortunately, in this case, uh, they're blaming the wind. I don't necessarily think that's an appropriate uh, evaluation of the situation. Last corner on Logan Sargent's hot lap. He oversteers the final corner just before the finish line. He hits the barrier. And when I say he demolished the left side of his car, we're talking like it's not there. We're talking probably easily $1.2, $1.5 million repair for his car. Uh, he did it early enough in qualifying. His engineers might actually have a chance to get him in the race on Sunday. But... He didn't have it coming into the corner. He had a ton of oversteer. The correction came in, but by that time, his tires are on the grass. And in the world of Formula One, if you hit the white line when it's wet, or when you hit the grass, whether it's wet or dry, you have absolutely no control whatsoever. And the direction you're facing is the direction you are going. And Logan Sargent was headed to the barriers no matter what, and just wiped the right or left side of his car totally off. Totally red flagged the entire qualifying uh they did it relatively fast for the cleanup about 20 25 minutes which is not so bad you take a look at the analytical video of his crash and it's, he's pushing it which is good he's taking that risk to try to get that lap time it's just another example of bad luck or just inexperienced driving and him potentially just pushing the car further than it can go and it's just, it's not boding well for Logan Sargent to be back for the 2024 season. Uh, besides that, bottom five, two very surprising names in the bottom five, Bottas, Joe Guan Yu. Now, it's not necessarily surprising that they didn't make it out of Q1. It has happened before for them with the Alfa Romeos. But the surprising part was for full practice one, two, and three, the Alfa Romeos were on rails. They were super fast, super consistent. They weren't going to get first. They weren't going to get top five, but easily at the pace that they were driving, they were going to make top 10. They were going to make Q3. And then when it comes to actual qualifying time, oh man, they just, I don't want to say they dogged it. Just something happened that just absolutely took them out of the race. There was no impeding. There was no traffic that got them in the way. There was no incident oversteer, understeer, near misses. That slowed them down. They just did not have the pace at all. Bottom five. And 20th, obviously, Logan Sargent because he didn't finish the first qualifying in his crash. 19th is Joe Guan Yu. 18th, Nico Hulkenberg. 17th, Lance Stroll. We're going to get back to him in a second. And 16th, Valtteri Bottas. Uh, those are your bottom five. Lance Stroll, 
everybody says he's okay. He's a little stiff. He's a little sore, but he took that extra week off to recover. That's great. Dogs it again. Again, no impeding, no traffic in the way, no understeering. Like the same issue as Alpha Romeo. He just is not fast. And he was not fast in qual- in full practice one or two or three. Like at this point, you've got a third driver. You've got Felipe Drogovic, who is your replacement third driver for Aston Martin. Fuck, at this point, he could probably get more points than Lance Stroll is right now. Aston Martin is in severe trouble of losing even more points and even losing even more money from sponsorship because Lance Stroll can't make it out of Q1. Like, why are you there? If you can't do the job, don't do it. Are you just going to limp your way through the rest of the season? It's, it's unfair to Fernando Alonso. It's unfair to Aston Martin. And it's unfair to your third backup driver. Any other team, let's, let's do AlphaTauri. Let's do Red Bull. Because the lifespan in that organization, if you're not performing, is ridiculously short. If Lance Stroll, without his daddy's protection, was in the Red Bull driving world, he wouldn't have a job by now. He would have been replaced by the third driver, which, let's be honest, would have outdriven him races ago. Months ago, he would have been gone. But hey, 17th position, not an encouraging race at all, and just more points lost for Aston Martin. Liam Lawson, the guy who got passed up for a seat after Q1, he's fourth. Is fourth. And it wasn't a spectacular run. It wasn't a earth-shattering run. It was a good rookie doing good work in a solid car. He outpaced Alex Albon. He outpaced Fernando Alonso, the Ferraris. He killed it in Q1. Yes, it's still Q1. It's not the end of the world, but he knows he doesn't have a seat. He needs something to prove, but he's going to do it very intelligently. Fourth in Q1 is amazing for him. It's amazing for Williams. And he is definitely a driver that all teams need to take a look at. On the flip side, when you drive angry and you've got something to prove, sometimes it comes back and bites you in the ass. But sometimes it brings out even more greatness. Example, topping Q1, our champion, my man, Supermax, first in Q1. And he's up by 0.185. He's up by 100. This is not a huge amount, but he's making the statement that Singapore did not break him. It did not set them back in their development. It showed that even the best drivers and the best strategists can make mistakes, but it's how you come back from those mistakes that make you a champion. And he's starting to prove it in qualifying already. Q2, moving on. Weather is perfect, which means there's no drama. The qualifying times keep getting faster and faster. There's absolutely no drama, which is amazing to see. I like seeing these kind of qualifying times. It's all about the race. It's not about the technical directives, about the flexi wing, which we had to deal with last week. The weather can make it more interesting, but sometimes it can also hinder it. Definitely not this time. Clean weather, fast track, hot day. Track temp, 43 Celsius on that track temp. And these guys are just flying uh, nothing massive to report. It was nice and clean. Your bottom five, uh, a couple of, a couple of misses that I kind of expected to see a little bit higher. Alex Albon in 13th, 
He's on a streak of qualifying really, really well. I could have seen, I would like to have seen him in the top 10. He had that availability. He had that speed. But when you get weather conditions like this and you get the cars all on their best performance, it's showing that, yes, Williams has these upgrades. They've been doing very well, but everybody else is starting to bring out more upgrades and they're starting to kind of fall behind yet again. Again, no drama, no crashes. It was just pure speed. And if you kept up, you did. And if you didn't, you were out. Bottom five from 11th to 15th in order. Number 11th, Liam Lawson didn't make it into Q3, but he wasn't exactly getting blown out of the water. It was a couple of thousandths of a second that he got punched out or got kicked out, however you want to put it. Really solid driver. He will do well this weekend. 11th, Pierre Gasly. 13th, Alex Albon. 14th, Esteban Ocon. 15th, Kevin Magnussen. This is my, I have a question about Kevin Magnussen and the strategy from Haas this weekend. In Q2, K-Mag, there had to have been something wrong with the car that they didn't want to advertise, or Haas was running out of fresh tires. K-Mag only did two laps, which means he went out with about four minutes left, three minutes left. He did his warm-up lap, and then he did his fast lap. Not a whole lot of time to prep, but it is K-Mag. He didn't do an absolutely horrendous job. Again, it's just showing where the Haas is with its full upgrades compared to the top tier teams with their upgrades. He did his best. It wasn't horrible. It just wasn't fast enough. Max Verstappen, Q2. You're expecting me to say that he finished first. Well, he didn't. He finished second in Q2 by two one thousandths of a second. 0.024. That's your time difference. But he didn't run with three minutes left in the qualifying session. Charles Leclerc did. He That's who ended up first in Q2. But it shows the confidence is back in Red Bull that there's three minutes left. I'm going to make qualifying. I don't need to go out there again and waste another set of tires. Ferrari did go out. I do believe they were use, using a set of used tires. And they were still able to beat Red Bull by that slim margin. So it sets up for a really good Q3. And it really starts to set up what kind of tire management these teams are going to need on race day. And Q3, as we get into it, it was just more of the same that we all love to see. The tires are in their prime. It's hot. It's clear. These drivers know what to do. And now it's just time for pure speed and to see which car can hang on and which car can't. And it was, it was a blowout. Q1 to Q, or position one to position two, absolute blowout, in my opinion. But has it been this season? The more interesting fact was, or the more interesting thing to look at was position two to five. It's not exactly who you would have expected to see at the beginning of the season, but it makes the race for tomorrow morning or Saturday night, Sunday morning, depending on how you want to look at it. And we'll get into that at the end. A little more interesting. Super fast. All the cars run rails. Okay, we know that. Let's get into the top 10 and I'll explain why I think. Top 10. Max is first. Oscar Piastri is second. Lando Norris is third. Leclerc is fourth. Perez is fifth. Sixth is Seitz. Seventh is Hamilton. Eighth is Russell. Ninth is Yuki Tsunoda. And tenth is Alex or Fernando Alonso. Good old Fernando is just always, he's hanging in there. Top 10, top five come race day. It's great. Max Verstappen, he's making his statement. Red Bull is making their statement right now that they are back and they will win tomorrow. Max gets pole by over half a second over Oscar Piastri. 
the time difference between first and seventh is less than a second. That's how close these guys are. But out of that less than a second, half of that is Max being ahead of Oscar Piastri. My driver to keep an eye on is going to be Piastri. He finally outqualifies Norris, and he doesn't just kind of outqualifies him. It's like two tenths of a second. He's on point this weekend. New contract, new signing. Sometimes you can see when it comes to professional athletes, you sign a new contract, you get the yips. And that's kind of like, I'm worth more money, they have confidence in me. Then all of a sudden, you start to overthink your position. You start to get a little too excited, a little too tweaking here and there, trying to change your routine, where Piastri Piastri just seems to be nice, level-headed, and he goes into it and absolutely crushes it. This is the first time in Oscar Piastri's career, well, this year, his career, that he will be on pole, that he will directly be driving against Max. It's going to be a good start. But does the McLarens off the start have enough power, have enough speed, and are the driver's reactions going to be fast enough with enough nerve to dive on that first corner and push Max out of first place? I can't say yes or no either way. Leclerc, you can't count him out either. He's in fourth. He's got, he, he's going to have that dirty air from the first three drivers, but at the same time, he's going to be in that slipstream to just sneak right in there. Checo, we know what kind of start Checo can do. He does have the, the availability and he does have the means and the experience. And in my opinion, he's going to pass Leclerc before we get to the first corner. The Red Bulls are just faster on the straight stretch, but Leclerc is not going to be an easy person to pass. What I want to see, what I hope to see, is not just Max keeping pole and being first in the first corner. I always want to see that as a Red Bull fan. But what I want to see here, what I'm very interested to see, is how well McLaren drives as a team and not against each other on that first lap where you can either make or break your race on that first lap. If you drive together as a team and intelligently, you can push the pole starter harder than he wants to go. At the same time, you can help your teammate as well as you can defend from the other two cars behind you. That's if everything goes well, you're all on the same page, there's no collisions or anything like that. If you don't drive as a team, taking out all of the... um out of control issues, like someone bumping into you, weather, that kind of stuff. If McLaren can drive as a team, they'll be fine. If they don't drive as a team, let's say Piastri doesn't get off the blocks as fast as Norris does, and Norris thinks he's got the advantage and he wants to take the position from him, then I think McLaren's going to be in massive trouble because you've got two young drivers who have something massive to prove. They want to prove they're not just a pretty face in a nice looking car, they want to show that they can actually drive. We haven't seen McLaren drive against one another yet. They've been very consistent with the team orders and the team effects, which is nice. I just really hope that they can do it come Saturday morning so they can kind of push Max and make sure that he actually has to earn his victory. Let's talk about race day now. Race day for us it's not super late, and it's not definitely not super early as some of the races we're getting this season. Uh, race time in Canada, in Calgary, Alberta, where I am, we're talking 11 p.m. Pre-race is 10.30. I mean, for me, it's a, it's a really good time. 
the Japanese Grand Prix, as far as overseas races and timings go, has to be the easiest for me to watch just because you come home from work, you have dinner, you go to the gym, you relax a little bit, and you just kind of sink right in, turn the big screen on, get those speakers going, and it's race time. It's really that easy to get into it. You can get excited, you can get pumped, you can yell at the TV if you want to, because as we all know, the louder you yell at the TV, the more the drivers can actually hear you. Little known fact, a lot of people didn't know that. Uh, it's just the perfect time for me. And this is definitely one of those races where you're going to be up and down, yelling, watching, cheering, cursing, all of the above. So let's get into it. The Japanese Grand Prix, 5.8 kilometers, 53 laps, 18 turns. Top speed of 305 kilometers an hour. Fastest lap is a minute 30.9 all the way back in 2019 by the seven-time world champion Lewis Hamilton. I can tell you even with the new cars, they were still five seconds, out, four or five seconds off the fastest lap. Uh, so that record, I think, is going to stand for quite a long time. A lot of people don't realize how fast these cars were back in 1819 and just how some of these time-lap records, they're just they're never going to go away. A couple of things to note before the race gets started. Uh, Logan Sargent's weekend went from really bad to even worse to absolutely 100 forgettable to, in my opinion, you lost your contract for the 2024 seat this weekend. Uh, Logan Sargent is starting in the pit lane plus a 10-second penalty on top of that. It's a little excessive, and I'm going to break it down to you right now. First of all, because he fucked up his car so bad in qualifying... Williams had to start repairing his car much earlier than they were allowed to. So essentially what they did is they broke Park Firma just to start repairs on his car or he wouldn't even been able to have raced this weekend. So automatically right there, that's going to be your pit lane start. It's how it goes for everybody. As well as if you exceed part limits, which they did not, you're going to start in the pit lane. Now, the 10-second penalty that followed is because each team is allowed two chassis for the entire season. Now, this is the actual body of the car. This does not include the wheels, um, any of the apparatuses that are attached to the wheels, steering mechanism, wings, floor, all that kind of stuff. It does not include that. It is the actual full structure of the body of the car. You are allowed two of these per season. Now, if you need to go through both of your chassis, you have massively demolished your vehicles. Well, thanks to Logan Sargent, he is now officially on his third chassis that the team had to start building. It is a fine for Williams, as well as it is a 10-second penalty for Logan Sargent. Um, I think it's well-earned. He just absolutely had a horrible weekend. I know it's adding up to his troubles, but he's kind of starting to show that he can't keep up with the big boys. He can't even keep up with the new rookies. He just can't keep up, period. So starting in the paint lane and a 10-second penalty on top of that. The weather on race day was absolutely perfect. The track was ridiculously hot, which all of a sudden means you've got to have a different tire and pit stop strategy. Generally, in the Japanese Grand Prix at Suzuka, you can get away with one, maybe two pit stops, depending on the weather. All of this is weather dependent. The hotter it is, the hotter the track is going to be, the more you're going to chew through tires. Well, you're looking at like 43 degrees, not trackside. It was ridiculously hot this weekend, which means you're blowing through tires a lot faster than you need to. But that also means one 
half speed warm-up lap and your tires are in the zone and we're talking the mediums the softs and the hards which we saw at the beginning of the race which is a very interesting strategy you've got both perez and you've got max one's medium one hard we're going to see which one works the best five lights go out and away we go and oh my god was it the best start to this race that you could possibly imagine max versus norris versus piastri the rookie oscar piastri on his first front row did not disappoint better reaction time than max verstappen at one point at the widest part of their track they are three cars wide mclaren is showing how fast they are off the start now obviously red bull has got something to prove it looks like from the look of the views and the wings that they did essentially downgrade their car to what it was before the horrendous in their mind singapore grand prix max all of a sudden he's carrying this downforce and the straight line speed that we're all used to and mclaren is right beside them so those three pull off um three car wide almost into the first corner piastri or norris does duck out all of a sudden we're side by side wheel to wheel with uh piastri and max around the first corner max does end up pulling out the lead but just just he just has that experience over piastri if it was norris and hamilton or not hamilton if it was norris and max going through that first corner i think it would have been a lot more hotly contested going into the rest of the lap i think norris would, would have been able to keep up with max just a little bit more or maybe put just that little bit of extra pressure on him without blowing through his tires much faster than he needed to but the major drama on the first lap had to have been about nine cars behind them as you're watching on formula one tv everyone's going straight and then all of a sudden if you look everyone's going fast everyone's wheel to wheel four cars three cars wide going down the straight stretch trying to get to that corner now when you're looking at your tv on the far right hand side all of a sudden you see one car go from right to left massive smoke massive fiberglass and carbon fiber not fiberglass let's so just carbon fiber and car parts everywhere we're looking at a three car combo of alex albon valtteri bottas joe guan yu and checo perez okay so let's make it yeah four car wide four car sequence it was just mayhem it was hard to keep track of all the drivers are trying to squeeze, trying to get this track position. One bumps another that rips off the front end plate, that punctures a tire, that destroys the side wing and safety car first lap. Nobody stopped the race because of these collisions and because of this contact. It was just a full safety car just for how much crap was actually on the track. You could probably put three full front ends back together for the amount of debris that was on the track it was it wasn't the worst start i've seen but it also wasn't the best start for some of those guys in the back that were just trying to get that track position back and in the middle of all of this hoopla and shenanigans is checo perez he gets his front wing damaged okay that's not horrendous it's not the end of your day as long as you're intelligent about it goes around gets a new front wing okay that's fine so because it's a full safety car you are not allowed to pass at all if you are last, you have to stay last. If you're first, you're first. And then anywhere in between, you have to stay in your position at a designated speed for however long the safety car lasts. In this case, however long it takes to get the track clean. Okay, that's fine. 
when you are rejoining the race from the pit lane, you are not allowed to come. You're not allowed to rejoin in front of another driver. You have to literally let, unless there's a massive gap, but in this case, it was a massive 19 car DRS train. You have to let everybody pass you and then you rejoin. So you just go slower out of the pit lane, which is fine. It's, it's not unheard of. It's the second lap of 53 laps. You've got time to recover. I don't think Checo was paying attention on how fast he was going. Granted, leaving the pit lane area, there's a massive amount of debris. So his focus was more on where the debris was opposed to where he was joining the line of cars. He ends up sneaking, not sneaking, and he ends up putting himself second to last. He does give these spots back because you have to. So he does end up at the back end of the of the pack before the safety car is ended. The stewards, on the other hand, it gets flagged. The stewards look at it, and Checo gets dinged with a five-second penalty for unsafely rejoining the safety car, essentially. Okay, five seconds is not horrible. You've got a good pace. You can do this. Should he have gotten this penalty? I think absolutely. It was just a really dumb mistake. Granted, he's probably a little frazzled because all of a sudden now he's last and he is in the hunt with Max. He's got to keep his spot in the drivers. They want to win the constructors, all this kind of stuff. So he's a little frazzled. As he continues on, he, and there's absolutely no reason. Now he's trying to make up spots. And he's driving aggressively enough to gain spots. And be high enough in the grid when he takes his five-second penalty, he's not going to be dead last again. It's a normal strategy. It's a good strategy if you execute it correctly. Checo, I think he was driving with more desperation than he absolutely needed to have because before lap 15, he takes an unnecessary inside line around a corner trying to pass, I think it was Kevin Magnuson. It was a Haas no matter what. And there was no drive line. There was no space for him to pass. It was an unnecessary and unprovoked collision. He ends up spinning out the Haas. Major collision. He ends up trashing a second front wing. His day just goes from bad to worse. By the time you hit lap 15... Checo Perez is the first DNF of the race. And it was just absolutely uncalled for. You've got 10 seconds worth of penalties added up totally. Total. You've got a fast car. You've got a car that can make up this time. But I think they figured where he's at, how far behind he will be, and just the track evolution itself, that he wasn't going to make any kind of productive progress. So they ended retiring the car. Okay, that would be fine. You take your lumps, you finish your day, off you go. But because of the strategy, and they didn't wait for the stewards to give him a five-second penalty, what Red Bull ended up doing, and this is definitely knowing the rule book, playing within it, but also stretching it at the same time and taking advantages of any kind of gray area, they put Checo's car back together because the tires are off, the front end's off. So they end up putting it back together, about 20 laps later, so you're talking like lap 35-ish, and he's sitting in the car. And even the commentators, one, one of the commentators knows why he's doing this. The other two are totally baffled, and I am absolutely confused on what the hell is going on, as, as I'm sure some of you were. What he needed to do, and these guys 
have the best understanding of the rule book. If you DNF a race with an outstanding penalty, in this case, it would have been a five second for causing a collision, that penalty gets carried over to the next race. Okay, that doesn't seem too bad, but it's not a five second penalty. It's a three place grid penalty, essentially as a punishment for not taking your five second penalty. So you go from a mediocre, more of an annoyance penalty to a three place grid penalty, which can absolutely mess up your race and mess up points and sponsorship money and standings. That's your penalty for the next race. So, okay, they figure this out. They put the car back together. Checo goes out for like five laps, does a pit stop where they sit there for another five seconds and don't touch the car. He goes back around the track and then retires the car. Was it ridiculously intelligent to know the rules and get this worked out? Absolutely. Was it bit of a bitch move from Red Bull and from Checo Perez to not just like, hey, we've got a five second penalty, just finish out the race or not even finish out the race. Wait till you get the penalty, take the penalty and then retire. That should have been the move they should have done instead of all of this hoopla and all this drama of putting the car back together, taking away from the excitement of the race. And it was a very exciting race to be like, Oh, poor Checo. What's he doing? Oh, he's, you know, bending the rules. He's creating another slight controversy because some of the teams don't even know this rule. And there was some protest after the race going, you can't do that. Once you're done, you're done. And Red Bull's clapping back going, well, actually, here are the rules. Here's what you, I can do, and here's what we did do. Either way, it just makes look it just makes Checo look like a bit of a joke in this case, in this race, where he had a legitimate chance to score some points if he just would have stuck it out, if he just would have swallowed his pride going, hey, now I'm just going to do the best that I can possibly do. And whatever happens, happens. I'm going to save face. But massive drama, this massive, you know, look at me. It was a little bit unfortunate. Logan Sargent's day didn't get a whole lot better. Uh, contact with Valtteri Bottas. Both of these guys are in 17th and 18th, respectively. They don't have anything to lose. So you just get through the race, take your opportunity, save the car. Uh, Logan Sargent, again, Unnecessary contact with Valtteri Bottas. Ends up spinning him out in a corner for absolutely no reason. Uh, Logan Sargent gets that five-second penalty. And about a lap and a half later, Valtteri is the second one to DNF his car on lap nine. It was just, he had so much damage on the floor of his car and the side of his car that would not have been repairable. That if he ran the rest of the race, he just would have wrecked the car. He would have put extra miles on that you don't need. He would have put extra strain on the car itself that you don't need. So I think it was an intelligent move. They just, you know, it's only lap nine. You probably could have gotten a little higher, but what's the point in banging your head against the wall? So they pull him lap nine. Uh, five laps later, there's another virtual safety car, lap 14, essentially to clear the track. There had been so much collision throughout the day that there was still a little bit of debris left on the track that the marshals weren't able to get to. It was a simple virtual safety car. It didn't last that long, but it lasted long enough and the perfect timing of some strategists for some teams, especially McLaren in this case, that Oscar Piastri went in for his first pit stop super fast. It was 2.8 seconds, 2.7 seconds, something like that. Clean stop. 
fast stop. And more importantly, because a lot of these teams are taking a couple of extra pit stops, it keeps him in the hunt for third. McLaren at this point, they, it's like you can see the maturity coming to them during the race. They're not worried about Piastri going from second all the way down to, I think it was like 12th by the time he came out of the pit lanes. A pit stop is about 22 seconds if nothing goes wrong. By the time you enter, by the time you exit, it's about 22 seconds. Some guys had a ridiculously long, I think Valtteri Bottas at one point before he retired had like a 39 or 40 second pit stop. It was, I mean, for him it was horrendous. 20 seconds is not too, too bad. Uh, but this also means that your strategy has to be on point. And with as many DNFs and with as many safety cars as there were today, that's definitely going to come into play. Uh, more DNFs to come in, lap 22, 24, and 28 respectively. Oh, look, Lance Stroll didn't finish yet again, although this time it was not his fault. He did have a rear wing failure, which can mean several things. It could mean that the DRS wouldn't open for him. Now, he wasn't exactly in a position to be challenging for the lead or even the top 10, but still, it could have been that the DRS was not working properly. But what I think is when they say a rear wing failure, is that a part of the rear wing, probably the part that was attached to the vehicle itself, had a massive crack in it, and they wanted to be safer than sorry, because if you lose a major part on your car like that and you know about it, there are grid penalties that will be dished out. There's going to be a massive fine that will be dished out. Um, if you know about it, you can get disqualified from a race due to unsafe circumstances, so they don't want to get to that kind of territory. So they pulled him on lap 22 just because of a rear wing failure. They let Fernando Alonso know, which is a fantastic set of communication. Uh, it was just one more. It was just one more piece that Alonso just really didn't need to hear at that point. His tire selection was good. He went on hards. They just didn't last as long as he wanted them to, and he was kind of stuck in that no man's land. So Fernando Alonso, he did end up finishing in the top 10. It was just a little bit of a struggle for him, but ultimately they did get it figured out. Now, as far as Logan Sargent and Alex Albon go, uh, Logan Sargent had picked up a little bit of damage from his shenanigans throughout the day, plus the five-second penalty. He served the five-second penalty, but he was near the back of the pack anyways. I mean, by this point, he was uh, 15th. I mean, by the time we were done, we had four cars not finished. So, I mean, it would have been a good, it probably would have been his season best finish if he actually would have finished the race. But um, Williams decided to pull him. And then, as well as Alex Albon, he ended up picking up some irreparable damage to the car itself. Again, more along the floor and the side of the car is something that you can't repair. They ended up pulling him at lap 28. A very unfortunate weekend for Williams, but, I mean, it is what it is. It is racing. Alex had a pretty good race up until that point. Not as high as he should have been, and probably due to the damage he had to his car, but, hey, it is what it is. Now, amongst all of these DNFs and safety cars and virtual safety cars and parts of the vehicles being along the track and, and all this kind of stuff, the race itself was amazing. The passing was clean. It was fast. And not just on the corners and not just on the straightaways. They're passing at the beginning, in the middle, and at the ends of the S-curves. These drivers are taking any kind of possibility they absolutely can to get as many overtakes as they can Strictly because, one, the weather's perfect. Two, the cars are on point. They are on rails. They're fast. They're consistent. They're reliable. And 
final point. When you're looking at a pit stop of 22 seconds, for as close as these cars are, you can gain or lose a lot of position, momentum, and strategy if somebody gets that pit stop wrong. A lot of these guys had DRS, like the entire time, and not a gigantic DRS train. It was just in pockets. It was proper racing. They're within that second. So if you get, if your opponent gets that pit stop wrong, you're gaining five, six, seven spots, and they're not going to gain that back. These guys were just pedal to the metal. They wanted to give the fans an absolute show. And by my opinion, my recollection, and my enjoyment, it was one of the best races of the season. Now I want to take a minute and I want to focus on some of the team strategies that we saw this weekend. And I want to focus on two specific teams because their strategy were the most prevalent and, and I believe the most successful this weekend. Um, at the same time, a little bit surprising from both teams. Some of them a little bit on the negative side, some a bit on the positive side that will continue on the forward momentum that they have in the future. Let's start off with Mercedes. Mercedes, we all know they're fast. We all know that they have two drivers that are hungry for wins, as well as Mercedes is the team that the grid is relying upon to hold back as long as they possibly can, Red Bull winning the Constructors' Championship. So there's a lot of pressure on these guys, as well as they know they're in a position where if not one or both of them can be on the pole when they work together as a team and when circumstances are correct. Well, circumstances are correct for this weekend, in my opinion, but the team strategy and the team relationship was not there. What I've witnessed from Mercedes it was a super aggressive race from them, which is fine, but it was super aggressive to each other. It seemed like it was more of a race of Hamilton versus Russell than Mercedes versus Red Bull versus Ferrari versus McLaren. It wasn't a team race as we all know it. It got to a point where Russell is trying to pass Hamilton because at that time, at that lap, he believed he had the faster car, and for a little bit of time, he did have the faster car because he had newer tires. But it looked like Hamilton didn't want to lose that position because he still thought that he had a lot more life left in the tires. And let's be honest, he's got a lot more experience than Russell. He's taking Russell off the racing line and almost pushing him and forcing him off the track. This got bad to the point where the stewards noted forcing a it was flagged for forcing a driver off the track and it was against Russell. It's against your own teammate. Now, the radio talk back and forth was very nitpicky, very pokey, very like, are we racing? Why is he doing this to me? He's faster. We should be. They're just poking at each other. Now, if Total Wolf got on the radio, we didn't hear it. If he set both drivers straight and the strategists straight, we didn't hear it. But around about the 30th lap, when things were getting a little more heated because you got 20 some laps to go. So if you're going to push, you got to do this now. All of a sudden, their pit stop strategy are totally opposite. They're forcing the drivers to not be around each other because, in my view, the team doesn't trust these guys not to crash into each, crash into each other. They both finish in the top 10 as they should because they're Mercedes. But because they raced against each other so harshly and because it was not a team effort, they easily both of them easily could have been in the top five 
if they just learned to play nice. But that wasn't the case. It was an unfortunate, it was entertaining for us to see, but for those of us who are watching the points and counting the points, it was an unfortunate sight to see that it was more infighting than there was actually team effort. On the flip side, when you're looking at McLaren, McLaren is not anywhere near Red Bull when it comes to the points. They're not even close. But they've got a rookie that is signed till 26. They've got their lead driver that's signed to 25. In my opinion, they are the future. I have a lot of opinions, I just realized. <laughs> From my point of view, these guys are the future drivers of F1. They are the superstars of the future, if not right now. To see the teamwork was amazing. They both stayed clear of each other when they needed to, but at the same time, they helped each other out. At one point, Piastri was much faster than Norris, but Norris's tire life and the way he treats some tires gives him a longer tire life, which makes him faster than Piastri. Norris asked on lap 24 or 25, hey, Piastri's got to be, he's got to speed up or let me pass. It did take a little bit of a time for the decision to come through, but at least Norris asked. It was lap 27. The order came through, team orders. Hey, Oscar, you're doing great. And this is just my interpretation because we didn't hear it. Hey, Oscar, you're doing great. Norris is faster. Let him by. And it happened just like that. It was easy. It was smooth. Team orders were followed for the benefit of the team, not the detriment of the driver. Because McLaren realized throughout the entire season, and they've, they put all of what they've learned into this race, and they will for the rest of the season, that you take your time, it will happen when it needs to, just like the upgrades. They waited, they waited. The first half of their season, the first quarter of their season sucked. The new upgrades, they get better. Next set, they get a little bit better. Next set, they get a little bit better. And you can see the relationship between Norris and Piastri just get better and stronger and better and stronger. They didn't have even cars the entire time. Majority of the time, Piastri would get the upgrades a race or two after Lando Norris had them on his car. There was no bitching, whining, or complaining. It's this is how this is working. It's working well. Let's stick with the program. And that's what they executed for the entire season, kind of like what they executed in this race. Hey, Norris is faster. Let him through. They were close at one point. By the time the race was done, Norris, I believe, was 17 seconds ahead of Piastri. So not only was it the correct team call, but it was the correct timing for the call where they were able to keep the positions they were in, score maximum points, everybody's happy, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that at all. And now the last team that we're going to cover, yep, we're going to have to cover it. We're going to have to mention him again. We're going to have to bring this team up and some of you are going to love it. Some of you are going to hate it. And some of you just don't care because this is just great content. Red Bull. 50-50 day. I'm going to break it down. Uh, lower half, obviously, Checo Perez kind of embarrassing the team. Not only with his lack of driving etiquette. It was just a horrible weekend for him in general, When especially when it came to race weekend. Um Quali was not bad. He was super fast. He was reliable, but race day, everything fell apart. In my opinion, embarrassed the team because he DNF because he didn't want to take that penalty, but hey, it is what it is. Definitely a weekend that he can definitely forget, not like anyone's going to let him forget, 
but is a definitely a weekend that he needs to forget, move past, focus on next weekend's race. Other half, Max. Super Max. Max is back. The champion. The two-time defending Formula One champion. We knew there was going to be a level of expectation where we know you're the champion, we know you won 10 races in a row, and then you lost. And you didn't just lose, you you just threw away the entire weekend. It was the worst weekend of the entire year, of the last two years. How are you going to respond? And Max responded the only way that Max knows how, and that is with 100% unadulterated dominance. The only questionable part of his race was off the start where both McLarens had a much faster response off the line than he did. But after that, it was Max all day, every day. He was fastest in Q1. He he wasn't the fastest in Q2, but that was just because he didn't race. So count that at what you will. He was the fastest in Q3. He was fastest fastest in full practice, one, two, and three. And now he's the fastest in the race. He got the fastest lap, 134 and change, I believe. So again, not breaking the record, but he's laying down the gauntlet. He's setting and sending a statement to everybody else going, we're still a championship team. This was just a minor blip last weekend. Don't get it twisted. We are here to win. By lap 38, with a pit stop worked in there, he is still 38, or no, he's 30 seconds ahead. Of Lando Norris. It's not just like, oh, I'm winning. It's back to the Max Verstappen that we know, that some of you hate and some of you love. He's showing the dominance that he has on this track. He went for a pit stop. He's got 10 seconds to spare. And that was his last pit stop of the day. By the time the race was done, he had won by, and yes, spoiler alert, Max won. He won by 19 seconds and change. It was like 19.4, 19.5. It was not only a dominant race, he absolutely destroyed his competition. But what separates him, this race, and what he did in his previous wins is that he could have gone off the rails and tried to make an even bigger point. He tried to prove an even even bigger margin by taking unnecessary risks going faster than he needed to, making passes throughout the grid that were unsafe just to prove a point. Where he stayed clean, he stayed confident, he stayed calm. You could hear his radio interactions that he wasn't worried. He knows he's going to win, so calm down, do what you need to do, do what you do best, and the victory is going to come. And it did come. Like I said, 19-second gap. It was fantastic to see. He didn't overgloat. They did celebrate afterwards like they would have. But, you know, as much as you guys don't want to hear this, Max is back. Max is back. And it looks like from the end of this season on that Max's biggest competitor is going to be either Oscar Piastri or Lando Norris. I'm taking Mercedes out. I'm taking Ferrari out because they were super consistent. Ferrari had a nice, quiet, yet very successful day. Again, both of them top 10. Mercedes can't stop infighting, which is just giving Max further and Red Bull further advantages. But when you look at McLaren, they're going to be Max's biggest competitor for the rest of the season and the rest of next season. And if he takes things too easy, he's going to get caught out again. 
and then they're just going to see another dominant performance the next time he gets caught out. So, Max wins the race, 19 seconds ahead. Let us give your top 10 with a little bit of caveat on the side, a little bit more information that you need to know. Top 10, Max 1, Norris and Piastri 2 and 3, Leclerc in 4th, Hamilton in 5th, Carlos Seitz in 6th, George Russell in 7th, Fernando Alonso, his day ended up getting better. He wanted to box the car. He was so frustrated. His engineers told him no. He ends up in the points in 8th. Pierre Gasly in ninth. Esteban Ocon in 10th. Solid race from Alpine. Nothing super exciting. Uh, some team calls that Ocon was not happy about at all. The team call was to let Gasly pass him because he was faster. He ended up being the faster car anyways. Just Esteban thought that he should have been able to compete just a little bit more. George Russell in 7th. He pits, gets new tires about four laps sooner than Russell and or Hamilton. And I think, this is where I said Mercedes could have finished higher. Russell, in my observation, definitely could have finished in the top, in the top five if he didn't have such a pissing contest with Lewis Hamilton. He killed his tires. They were only four laps older than Lewis's tires. That over a massive stretch of time will make a difference. But for as many laps as they had left, he should have been able to keep up with Hamilton. And if they drove as a team, they should have been able to capture fourth and fifth, if not third and fourth. Put that extra pressure on Piastri, put that extra pressure on Leclerc. But because they raced each other for so long, they ran out of time, they ran out of track, and essentially they ran out of the points. With those points, keep that in mind. We're going to go into the constructors standing now. Red Bull only needed one point over Mercedes to win. So to guarantee the win, Max needed the fastest lap and the victory. Well, Max got the fastest lap and the victory. And because Hamilton and Russell finished in 5th and 7th, Red Bull 6th Constructors' Championship, 2nd in a row, 6th overall in their entire Red Bull you know, history. Red Bull ends up with 623 points. Mercedes ends up with 305. A difference of 318 points. He only needed 309, but because they ended up racing each other so hardly and so hard and so unnecessary in Mercedes, that's why he ends up winning with a margin to spare. Uh, we'll go through the top 10 constructors. Like I said, Red Bull, 623 points. Mercedes in second with 305 Ferrari in third with 285, Aston Martin in fourth with 221, McLaren in fifth with 172, Alpine is in sixth with 84, Williams is in seventh with 21, Haas is in eighth with 12, Alfa Romeo is in ninth with 10, and good old Alfa Atari is in tenth with five points. So here comes a little bit more math. Yes, the constructors is done. Red Bull has won. Yay! Officially, mathematically, for the rest of the season, Red Bull has won the constructors. Yay. But something to look at and to look forward to, in my opinion, for team racing is that Aston Martin and McLaren are only 39 points apart. That's it. And the way that McLaren is driving and the way that Lance Stroll keeps shitting the bed and leaving Fernando Alonso by himself to earn all the points, by the end of the season, I'm calling that Aston Martin will be in fifth and McLaren is going to challenge and they will get fourth. 
Now, there's 64 points difference between Ferrari and Aston Martin, but the way they're going, Aston Martin's not going to catch them. They're just losing pace and losing momentum from the beginning of the season. So, look to see McLaren in fourth in the constructors and Aston Martin in fifth by the end of this season. Drivers' Championships. Max Verstappen, 400 points even. Checo Perez in second with 223. Lewis Hamilton in third with 190. Fernando Alonso in fourth with 174. Carlos Seitz is in fifth with 150. Leclerc is in sixth with 135 points. Now Norris and Russell are tied with 115 points, so seventh and eighth. Piastri is in ninth with 54 points, and rounding out the top 10 is Lance Stroll with 47 points. Now, our story of the race will be the math with Max, but things to keep an eye on. Because, in my opinion, Max is going to win the Constructors. Mathematically and realistically, Max will win, sorry, not the Constructors, Max will win the Drivers' Championships. Here's some math, again, that will keep the rest of the season interesting and exciting. And I know some people, as soon as the Constructors and the Drivers' Championships are decided, they just stop watching, because what's the point? I'm giving you the points on why you need to watch because it's going to be so exciting. The point difference between Perez and Hamilton now is only 33 points. The difference from Hamilton to Alonso is only 16 points. And the points from Alonso to Carlos Seitz is only 24 points. From second in the drivers to fifth is only 73 points difference. We have a bona fide battle on our hands in second to fifth, in my opinion. Leclerc, he's got 135 points. Closest to sites is 150. Can he come back and make up that point differential? I say yes, but it's going to be a little bit tougher for him. But from second to fifth, just like Hamilton and Alonso, it's just ridiculous. 16 points, that's it. Carlos Seitz, again, only 24 points behind Alonso. Everybody at this point knows the point differential. They know where they're standing in the stands. And every single driver and every single team know what they need to do from here on out. And we still have one more sprint race to go before the end of the season. So there's even more points up for grabs for these guys. This is going to be exciting. I am, I am, I don't care that the constructors is done. I don't care that the driver's championship will be done in either a race or two. I am very much excited for the battle that will continue with everybody else and including Max from here until the rest of the season. So let's get into the story of the race. And this is where Max's math comes in. I know it's a lot of math and I know I'm sure you're tired of hearing about how wonderful Max is, but Hey, I give you the content. That's most important. Max. Again, he's back to his winning ways. He's showing his dominance. He's showing that he can recoup after a loss, blah, blah, blah. We know that. Drivers' Championships is coming up next. Max can win the Drivers' Championships in Qatar, which is the next race, if one of these four things happen. Now, keeping in mind, Qatar is a sprint weekend, so you have more points available through the entire weekend as you would do a normal race weekend. So, let's break it down. If one of these four options happen, he will win the Drivers' Championships. I like the little dramatic pause, huh? And it's all of this has to do with his with his teammate Jekyll Perez, who 
if you look at the streak he's on, all four of these things can easily happen or none of them because he won't even finish. I mean, who knows? He's got to pull his head out of his ass, but here we go. Option number one, if Checo Perez wins the sprint race, Max has to come sixth or higher in the race. How likely is that? Option two, Perez has to get second in the sprint. Max is going to finish seventh or higher. Again, how likely is that? Perez finishes third in the sprint. Max finishes at least eighth in the race. You see, you see this, you know, this correlation I got going on. And option four, Perez just has to finish fourth or lower in the sprint. Now, out of those four options, and those are the most realistic options, which one do you think is actually going to happen? Look at the history that Checo has with sprint races. Look at the history that Max has in sprint races. Which one of those do you actually think will happen the next race? And now you're asking yourself, but Kelsey, you have mentioned the next race. When is the next race? The next race is in Qatar, October 6th to 8th weekend. It is a sprint weekend, which means there's a lot of stuff going on. There's a lot of points being thrown around, and there's a lot of drama. And for us in Canada, the viewing times are not horrible. So full practice, the only practice that they have. Keep that in mind. Friday morning, 730. Okay, that's not super early. You can watch full practice before you go to work unless you've got the day off. Pre-qualifying show, if you like to watch it like I do, Friday, 10 a.m. Qualifying, Friday, 11 a.m. So it's a lot of things happening. The sprint shootout, which essentially is the qualifier for the sprint race, we're talking Saturday at 9 a.m. The sprint race itself is Saturday at 11.30. And race day itself is Sunday at 11 o'clock a.m. Let me repeat that. Full practice, Friday, 7.30. Pre-qualifying show is also Friday at 10 o'clock. Qualifying is Friday at 11 o'clock. Sprint shootout is Saturday at 9 a.m. F1 sprint race is Saturday at 11.30. Race day, Sunday, 11 a.m. So not super late, not super early for us to watch, which is fantastic. And we can see, or we could potentially see, the crowning of the 2023 F1 Drivers Championship champion. So until then, folks, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Leave comments, questions in the description below. Let me know how I'm doing and let me know who do you think or when do you think? Well, let's go when. When do you think Max Verstappen is going to win the Drivers' Championships? Until then, talk to you later.